and welcome to the City of the Great King podcast, episode 16, with your host, Tyler Swatsky. That's me. Hello. Good evening. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good night. Glad you're here, episode 16. If you are listening to the other weekly upload that I do of my Sunday school class, we're talking Phi Lehman. I am having recording issues with that, and we're talking about some really good stuff in that class. I know some of you nerds geek out to the things that we're talking about there. If you haven't checked that out, I encourage you to listen to the Sunday School class. A lot of good material there. I wouldn't say that if I didn't genuinely believe that there's good material there. Anyway, um, I am running into recording issues in that class. So this had happened before, and I thought we had fixed the microphone and we did it was working for a time but now it's dead again so maybe there's a lesson there when something's dead it, it's dead you know we can't resurrect everything so we're figuring it out but welcome to episode 16 last week i told the story of uh, what led me out of the pentecostal charismatic charismatic tradition which i was raised in if you haven't listened to that please do so because it is kicking off what I'm going to take a few weeks talking about, which is unity. I want to talk about unity in terms of um, the fact of what I was getting at at the end of the story that I told. We are, Christians are going to need each other in more ways than we have in the past several decades, maybe even in the last couple centuries. We are going to need each other more. And this is because of the increasing animosity that is coming our way. And this animosity is already here. We see it from politicians, entire political parties. We have it from culture at large, especially with the rise of the so-called nuns in terms of religion. They don't identify with any type of religion. Uh, dominant culture is becoming hostile to traditional conservative biblical Christianity. So as this is happening, and as it's going to continue to happen in the West, we will be more and more pushed into a corner. And so if if you think, like, when you start getting pushed into a corner, if a group of people are being pushed into a corner, you're getting closer together. Who's going to be the ones that are pushed into that corner? It'll, it'll be all of those whom society has deemed that these are the Christians who are essentially unacceptable and they don't fit a modern society or they don't fit our modern view of what a liberal democratic society is supposed to look like. And this means that Christians of various denominations and stripes will be in this corner. It's not just going to be you and your fellow Baptists or you and your fellow Presbyterians or you and your fellow Catholics, whoever you are, it's not just going to be you and your own group of buddies who are going to be in this corner. It's going to be Christians of various denominations and stripes who believe in biblical Christianity, the authority of Scripture, in the Trinitarian God who is revealed in Scripture, all of that. And so, who, who's going to be in this corner are these types, actual Christians. Who's not going to be in this corner are liberal so-called Christians. Okay, so... A liberal Christian at a very basic level is someone who denies the supreme authority of scripture. Uh, 
that's a very basic definition. It's a long discussion. But essentially, Scripture is not the authority anymore, so Scripture can say something, but that's not binding on you. You can live different than what the Scriptures say. That is essentially where you have a liberal Christian. And you're not going to have these types in that corner with you when culture starts beating down on us. The you have more in common with conservative Christians from other denominations than you have with liberal members of your own denomination. Okay, I'm going to say that again. You have more in common with conservative Christians from other denominations than you have with liberal denominations of your, or liberal members of your own denomination. So when I'm using the words conservative and liberal, again, I'm not talking about the politics like the Conservative Party of Canada or the Republican Party or the Liberal Party of Canada uh, and the Democratic Party. That's not what I'm talking about. It's liberal and conservative Christianity. Believes the scriptures, doesn't uh, hold the scriptures to the highest authority. And so I have more in common with a conservative Methodist than I have with a liberal Baptist or a liberal Presbyterian. I have more in common with a conservative charismatic than I have with a liberal reform Baptist. Um, and so, I have greater unity with, people, with, with Christians who are genuine Christians amongst various denominations than I might have with several people in my own denomination. And where I'm going to be going with this is that denominations as a concept is detrimental to the unity that we need. So, we are supposed to have unity. Everybody, anybody who's read the Bible knows there's a general unity that Christians are supposed to have. And yet we are so split up into different denominations, different groups, different bodies, governing bodies, that we basically just talk past each other or ignore each other. We spend a lot of time fighting each other rather than doing things together. Like, it's more about supporting my home team, whether I'm uh, a Pentecostal or a Presbyterian or an Anglican. It's more like, I'm going I'm gonna go for the Anglicans. Those are my team. That's my home. Those are my people. And I'm not really too concerned with what some of the, the, the independent Baptists are doing. I'm going to stick with the Anglicans, and those are the only people I know. See, we are very disunified as a as the organizational church and so i got some questions for us which is christ's true church where is it are you in christ's true church is when he said that we are supposed to be one one body all of this type of stuff that he has one church that the the gates of hell will not be able to stand against you know the church militant all this type of stuff which is it? Is it the Fellowship of Evangelical Baptists? Is that the Christ's true church? Is it the Roman Catholic Church? Is that Christ's true church on earth? Which one is it? Um, is it the Eastern Orthodox? Did they get it right? Are they God's true Christ's true church? Is it none of these? Now, if you're familiar at all with this type of conversation, you'll know that there's two senses of the word church here that I'm... That is relevant to this discussion. There's the physical organizational church. This is your actual church you see on the corner or denomination like the Fellowship of Evangelical Baptists or the Associate Reformed Presbyterians, whatever it is. These are the physical organizational churches. But then there is the spiritual invisible church. 
So these are, there is by definition only one church in the sense that the church is the, the body of Christ, the believers, his own, his elect, and he knows the full number of his elect. He's got the full number of his church. And so before Christ, there is one church. And we only get that in the spiritual invisible sense. We don't know all of God's elect, but we are unified spiritually with all of with all the Christians across all of time. However, in terms of the physical and organizational, we're not united whatsoever. And we all know this. That's why there's hundreds of different splits and denominations. So it's true that we are in Christ's true church in the sense that it's not just one denomination. He has his elect amongst all kinds of denominations, as long as they are believers in him and, and all of that. They're true, genuine Christians. But if, is that the only unity that Christ is asking us to have? It's just the spiritual, invisible kind. Even if you grant that all Christians have some form of unity that Christ speaks of, even now and today in our denominational age, um... In the spiritual sense, if we have this, can you really say that all these different denominations and divides are in accordance with Christ's command in totality? Right? So, if we are supposed to be one and we're unified in the spiritual sense, before Christ we are unified, in heaven we're unified, shouldn't what is on earth reflect what is above? Isn't that almost completely what the book of Hebrews talks about? You know, the earth contains shadows, copies, and I know this is dealing with Old Testament ceremonial stuff, but what we do on earth is a reflection and a copy of what is in heaven. If we are unified in heaven, it should be our, our desire, and we should be actually working towards having this type of unity here on earth as well. God wants unity in the church and in worship. This isn't a hot take, but... It's something that we can say and then not move towards, not practically move towards. And before I get to practicalities of how to start solving all of this, I'm sort of introducing the issue for now. And that's why this is going to take a few weeks. We're going to talk about what, what to do about all this. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, God is giving commandments to his chosen people. He's giving commandments to... Israel before they get into the land and he's talking to them about how he wants to be worshipped and in chapter 12 he's gonna tell them that he has a chosen place of worship that when they get there he is going to have his altar at his designated place and that's where they're going to worship. I'll just read a couple of the verses in verse 3 uh, talking to the Israelites you shall tear down their altars uh, and dash in pieces, their pillars burn their ashram with fire. These are false god type stuff, idolatry. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go and bring your, burnt, your, your sacrifices, offerings, and all of that in the place that he chooses. Verse 8, You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance the Lord your God is giving to you. So he's when they get to this place, he is going to choose a place. Verse 11, 
then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, and you shall bring all that I command you. He's going to go on and say this multiple times in this one chapter, that he has his designated place. They are not allowed to put up altars wherever they want, to split off and do their own thing. Oh, but I, I can make a better altar than the one that than the place that God's going to put his in. Nope. Or I know it better than, than the priests over there know it. Nope. It's not how it works. You don't get to be disunified from how the Lord wants there to be unity in worship. So the emphasis is on this altar, the place that the Lord will choose to be worshipped, which ends up being the temple in Jerusalem. Now, God designed Israel to be his unified covenantal worship community. They were not supposed to be split off into a hundred different groups of different Jews of slightly different theology, uh, all sort of suspicious of each other and working towards their own team. No, that's not how it worked. They were supposed to be a unified covenantal worship community. It was their rampant sin that interfered with that. Now, the New Testament church, Christ's, uh, Christ's introduction and all that, the New Testament church is essentially the same as the Old Testament. And I'm sorry, dispensationalists, um, but... I, I just got to let you know, it, it's the same. Uh, the people of God are one olive tree. This is Romans 11 talk. One olive tree. This In this tree that, that represents the people of God, some branches were cut off. Those branches were unbelieving Jews. They were cut off of the tree, and other branches, believing Gentiles, were grafted in. Read Romans 11, you can see that. There's no discontinuity in the tree, in the people of God. He has his covenant that began with in the Old Testament, and it continued on. This tree is growing, and branches are coming in. When Christ comes, it's the same tree. We're grafting more branches in, and some branches were cut off. We're, the, we're essentially the same, with slight differences of some of the discontinuity. But um, Another consideration is that the book of Hebrews talks about Christ's once-for-all sacrifice, and he does this on this central altar, which wasn't in the temple, uh, in a physical Jerusalem, in a physical temple. But he, he talks about the fulfillment of that whole system, and on this central altar in heaven, he is fulfilling the demands of satisfaction for the payment of sin. And in doing this, he fulfills all the ceremonial sacrificial system. So there's a central altar that he has once for all been sacrificed on. Are we to believe in Christ's church today that we are supposed to be less unified than Old Testament believers, given that we have the perfect sacrifice of Christ to share in? All right, so if he has this once-for-all sacrifice in the heavenly altar, in the heavenly temple, and we all share and partake in it, are we supposed to be less unified than the Old Testament community? No. How do denominational divides. Picture the corporate unity that we have in Christ. There are multiple ways that the New Testament talks about this unity that we have. Uh, think of the images of the church that we're given. It talks about a temple, we're the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the flock of the good shepherd, branches of the vine, the people or family of God, now, clearly, there's unity in the in the spiritual sense that I was talking about above. In the invisible sense, yes, there's, there's obviously unity there. But doubtless, 
it's not just confined to that. If we're going to fulfill these images, there's physical, practical, organizational ways that we fulfill this unity. The New Testament talks about there being one spirit in which we have been baptized. 1 Corinthians 12, we're baptized in one spirit, one spirit who gives all the gifts to the church. It's in God's love in Christ that we're bound together. That's our unity, is the love of Christ. There's one gospel, one revelation, one baptism, one Lord's Supper. We are supposed to be unified beyond just the invisible spiritual sense. Now, God also gives us a government for church. And this is one of the big divides, I guess, although I'm going to tell you the three major positions of church government, and yet none of us would say just because you hold a different position on church government means you're kicked out of the kingdom. You can still be a Christian, although clearly not all three are correct. Only one can be correct out of these three, uh, or none, but um, that would be too confusing. One of them is correct, and I have my view on which one is correct, but the three Major positions is are uh, congregational, episcopal, and Presbyterian. So congregational is that each church is essentially its own autonomous body, run by their own leadership, uh, typically their own statements of faith. They are not accountable necessarily to other churches, but they handle their own affairs. The congregation that's congregational. They each congregation rules itself. Then there is episcopal which is uh, you do have a bishop that oversees areas, and so it's, it's a step up sort of of congregational. You, you have individual churches in areas that group up together and have a bishop over them, um, but it doesn't go much further than that. And then there's Presbyterian, which is essentially a um, trying to do what was said to... Uh, to, in Moses about setting up the government of the people in terms of tens, hundreds, thousands, uh, and all that. Like you have different levels of government, and it, it moves up so that you have elders of a local church, and then you got bishops over them, and uh, you got multiple tiers that, that comes up to a session on top. And so that, that's just a brief overview of the three major positions of church government. So... Just the fact that we're given a church government tells us that there is supposed to be an organizational unity, and we have to figure out what it's going to be. Which is the which is the correct one? Well, it would be really handy if we could have church councils to help us work through this, that we're binding still on the churches. Um, now, the New Testament doesn't ever talk about denominational government or denominational churches. It actually just talks about the church. So whichever position of government we're going to take, we have to consider the fact that whatever position it is has to work with the overall worldwide Christian church. So... The New Testament doesn't tell us to run denominational governments or churches. It's just the church. So already at a very basic level, we have to come to grips with the fact that this denominational system that we got 
it's not healthy, and it's pro it's pretty regrettable that it's gone this way. And I want to give a little bit of brief history on some of this. In Acts chapter 15, we have a church council which is described, which uh, was to solve a pretty difficult issue. I encourage you to read Acts 15. And their decision became binding on all the churches. So the apostles come together in Acts 15. They come forward with some resolutions. All the churches are required to obey. And there it was, that the issue over. This is similar to what happened during the Novation and Donatist controversies, the Novation controversy in the 200s and the Donatist controversy in the 3 and 400s. They were sect, uh, schismatic groups who tried to split off of the unified church, the universal church. And there were councils that met and negotiated the issue and settled the matter and the church at large stayed unified. However, in 451, there was a council called Chalcedon, and at this council of Chalcedon, it defined that Jesus Christ, uh, his nature, that he is one person with two natures, uh, divine and human, fully divine and fully human in one person. While the Egyptian and the Syrian churches couldn't sign on to that wording and split, what's going on at this point is you're no longer necessarily, even already with Donatists, you're, you have people who are generally orthodox in their theology, but schismatic. So do you call them heretics? Or are they, are they still believers just kind of doing their own thing, like rebels to the organizational unity of the church, but they're still believers? That wasn't such a given that it is today. So now, in this Chalcedon um, council that happens, the Syrian and Egyptian churches split off, but nobody was calling them heretics. Not nobody, but they weren't being outright condemned, cast from the kingdom, because their, their theology was generally orthodox. So now we're starting to get some splits, and then we're going to have a full-on split between the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church in 1051. And so the Eastern Orthodox set up their patriarch in Constantinople, contra the Pope in Rome. So you got two completely split churches now and then of course in the 1500s comes the reformation and so now you essentially have three major branches and today there's there are splits upon splits upon splits <clears throat> excuse me in all of these groups there are splits one of the things that a lot of protestants don't know because we're always the ones accused of of splitting all the time is that there are a lot of splits in the roman catholic church too they're not all as unified as they paint themselves out to be. It's the same thing with the Eastern Orthodox Church, although that one's a little more obvious. Only now, though, is it acceptable to just split rather than solve the issues. This is not how it worked in the first couple centuries. If there were issues, you called councils together, representatives of the churches who would go, and they would adjudicate the issue. You had ecclesiastical courts. And think like a a court of a country, like the American court. You have your appellate courts and your your immediate uh, courts, but then you have the supreme court. That's the highest court that you can go to. Well, it's not too different than in the church world. We have a supreme court as well, and our supreme court is Jesus Christ, of course. That is the highest you can go. He is the perfect judge. Uh, he, he's everything. Judge, jury, executioner, he's all of it. And 
So then we, as the organizational church on earth, on earth are the intermediate courts. We're the appellate courts. We are everything in the middle before you get to the Supreme Court. And it doesn't work functionally, even in the political and societal realm, to have our human courts be completely different from each other, totally different interpretations of how to go about law and constitution, how to interpret the words there. Is it a living document or... Um, or are we supposed to interpret it uh, federally? The Federalist Society talks about that. So there's a lot of different... It doesn't even work in the human sense to have all a completely opposite and disunified intermediate court. And that's exactly what we have in the ecclesiastical court when we have all these denominations and all these splits. Now we just... Well, you guys have a theological issue? Well, better start a new denomination shouldn't sit down and try to solve the issue or man lord forbid somebody has to stop being prideful and submit to a higher authority sheesh no we're just going to split so this is why we can have dozens of denominations that have slight theological distinctions now they're not calling each other heretics they all believe that we're going to see each other in heaven but we can't see each other on earth we're going to work together in glory but we're not going to work together ministerially on earth now, not all splits are bad. Okay, and that might sound very different than the direction I've been going so far, but the Apostle Paul is very clear when he says, like, what fellowship does light have with darkness? So there is a sense in which we are, there can be splits that are fine. We're commanded not to have fellowship with darkness, but that is for genuine darkness, as in unbelievers and apostates. Not, we have different views on baptism, so we need to do a denominational split. We have different views on church government, let's split instead of figure it out. We have different views on spiritual gifts, so we have to completely split. Now, as long as those gifts are not challenging Scripture's authority. Again, we're talking about conservative Christians here. Actual Christians. Or eschatology. Even though postmillennialism obviously is the truth. <laughs> or other such things. You know, things that we... You wouldn't look at a, a Methodist. You find some Methodist on the street. Oh, you're a Methodist? Oh, you must be going to hell. Like, you don't think that. Like... As long, you would probably think that as long as they have genuine faith in Christ and they obey him, they're, I'm going to be with them in glory. If they're of his elect, they could be in the Anglican Church. Oh no, are there saved people in the Catholic Church? Are there saved people in, e in Eastern Orthodox Churches? There's a lot to think about here. But if we're going to be with some of these people in glory... We ought to be ready to be with them here on earth, too, rather than just fighting all the time and starting new denominations and splitting or being independent churches that are accountable to nobody. Are denominations the correct way to go? We need to move towards unity with believers outside our denominations. I'm convinced of it. This is part of obeying Christ, of having greater unity in the corporate church on earth. 
again, I brought up that this is, I'm mostly bringing up the issue today. I'm, I'm gonna be, I'm short on solutions, not that I won't suggest any, but those are gonna come in future episodes. But let's identify the problem first. And this is going to probably make some people uncomfortable, this whole idea, because we're very comfortable in our denominations. They're almost sacred cows. Like, don't challenge my conservative Presbyterian denominations history and why we split. Don't challenge, I'm a fundamentalist Baptist, you don't get to challenge me, I'm accountable to no one. You know, or, or others, or I'm part of the Roman Catholic Church, God's one true church. All of you are anathema. Really. Let's identify the problem. Christ did not tell us to be unified just for us to be having dozens or hundreds of different denominational splits. Some of us, i.e. everyone, is going to need, who is a Christian, will need to find ways to move towards unity with believers outside of our denomination. Let's focus more on merging together rather than creating more splits. You know, I want to see, rather than, hey, my denomination is liberalizing. Let's have 10 churches split off and we're going to make a new denomination. How about instead of that, if your denomination truly is becoming genuine darkness, and this is now fellowship with unbelievers, how about you and your 10 churches merge with another conservative denomination? Like, rather than continuing to split and start new ones, which I'm becoming convinced is simply unfaithful at this point, let's start merging together rather than creating more splits. Is that going to be a lot of work? Yeah. Of course it's going to be a lot of work. But all of us just want to be independent. Do our own thing. Create more splits. Can you imagine a church on earth that has unity in the way that it functions like it did in the first century? Now, I'm not saying we all need to go back and remodel everything that they had. But just in the sense, I can't imagine there being a, a church council today that is binding on the, the on true, pure Christ church on earth that of that happening today with an issue. But if we were more unified, let's say instead of having a hundred different conservative denominations, we had one. Or, let's, okay, let's not dream. Two. Two major denominations in Christianity. That's it. And now we are facing this issue of the radical perversion of the ideas of sexuality, of marriage, of gender. How much more powerful would our witness be if instead of having a hundred different denominations saying slightly different things, but having our own statements, and if we were one, or even two, we're supposed to strive for one. Now, no one of us can solve this whole issue, but let's start thinking about it already. We are supposed to seek unity, and if we're not seeking unity with genuine believers, then we are being disobedient, even. How can I foster greater unity with believers from other traditions and denominations? We need each other. So I'm going to start with that. Let me know what you think. I know this, this is going to unseat a couple of us, make us feel a little uncomfortable, 
but sometimes we need to get told these things before we can move towards solutions. I'd be curious to know your thoughts. Seriously, send me a message. I got a lot of messages after uh, last week's one with the, the story of my deconstruction. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. Let's get talking about this. It's an important issue. And it's going to become more and more important as society continues to be antagonistic towards us. Hope this has been helpful for you. God bless. Go in the nations. Bye-bye.